0: Welcome to the Spirit-Filled Leadership Podcast. I'm Pete Barack. This is a podcast where we believe the world needs disciples and disciples need Spirit-Filled Leaders. So every time you listen or watch this pod, we hope you grow in just one small step towards greater expression of Spirit-Filled Leadership in your life. Today, we're talking about vision, which if you were going to do like a bingo game of like most common words and, and themes within the leadership space right now, vision would be Pretty high up there, right? Everybody's talking about vision. It's important both in the secular world and in the church world. Everyone wants you to know where you're going. You got to articulate that vision. You got to get buy-in around that vision both so that you have a sense of where you're going but so you know where you are and what you need to do in order to get their vision is vitally important. We can all agree on that but I wanted to look at it from a slightly different angle today. How does a spirit-filled leader view vision? And how do you bring about buy-in towards that vision, whether that's in your church, whether that's in your organization, whether it's in your family relationships? What does it look like as a spirit-filled leader to lead with vision? Everybody, when they talk about vision, brings up Proverbs 29. You know, it says, without a vision, the people perish. Well, a different translation of that is actually, without prophecy, the people perish. And that's a very interesting tie together, two words that we need to tie together right there. That as a spirit-filled leader, vision originates in God. Vision is actually God revealing something to us, us believing that revelation, and us responding to it. That vision for a spirit-filled leader has a prophetic nature and what is, what is prophecy ultimately is God communicating something, God speaking, and a person hearing that message from the Lord, but not just hearing it, also then communicating it. You know, prophecy only has so much value if the, the prophet, the person receiving the word, is willing to express it. Like, what good is it if God's speaking to his people, if the people he's speaking to don't then turn around and share that with the world and share that with those who who need to hear it? So, in this case, like, for, for a people or a church or a family or whatever to have vision, we have to start with what is God saying? What is God saying to us about our current state, about what needs to change, what needs to be purified? And then in this case not just about where we are right now, but what is God saying to us about where we need to go? A spirit-filled leader has to take a posture of listening because in order to receive a compelling vision, we have to be listening. And we can do more on how we listen, but we just have to start there that when you hear vision as a spirit-filled leader, you need to think prophecy. You need to think God speaking to his people, that the Lord is looking for those who, who are listening to him so that he can put a word in them that they can believe, have faith in, and then do something about. Remember, one of our favorite definitions of a disciple is asking two questions What's God saying to me, and what am I doing about it? The difference between just a disciple asking those two questions and what we would call a spirit filled leader is spirit filled leaders saying, What's God saying to us, and what are we doing about it? Not just what's God saying to me. And what am I doing about it? But what's God saying to us? And what are we doing about it? There's a really kind of compelling story of of this this reality of vision and people following and not following it uh, found in the the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. So you have this moment where the people of Israel are coming up to the promised land. Okay, they're they're marching. They've come out of uh, Egypt. The Lord has done amazing things to set them free and they're coming up to the promised land. Just that phrase alone, stop for a second, is, is an example of prophecy, the promised land. God has communicated to his people, primarily through Moses, that this land he intends to give them. This is where they are called to go. There's not like a lot of doubt about that. It's not like the, the maybe land or the, the hopefully land. It's like, no, this is the promised land. This is your land. I'm going to deliver this land into your hands. So that alone should probably be enough for them, right? Like what more vision do you need as a people than like that land over there, God is going to give us. But the Lord understands that for us often to to act on the vision is not just enough to hear it, but to have it kind of embedded in our hearts. And a lot of times the way it is embedded in our hearts is through ownership of that vision. And so he, he instructs Moses to send 12 spies into the land to survey it and kind of come back with a report and it's interesting in numbers the the, the 12 that are chosen are designated as leaders of each of these t- tribes like kind of like the best and brightest from each of the tribes is sent into the promised land to take stock and come back and report and so they do, they go out, they go into the land and they realize it is a land flowing with milk and honey and that it is a, it is a good land and it is worth taking, right? But when they come back, they also notice that there are, there are tribes and there are peoples already inhabiting the land that intimidate them. So much so that 10 out of the 12 change their report. So instead of saying like, yeah, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. They come back and they're super excited about it. But then the more they think about it, the more they speculate on it, the more they kind of chew on the practicals of actually entering into this land, they they become intimidated by the people that they're up against to the point that they start calling them like giants and that, that we have no shot in this land. We shouldn't go there. Caleb and Joshua say, no, no, no. This is the promised land. It is a good land. We need to go into it, but ten others convince their tribes that it's not worth going to, and that leads to forty years in the desert, a whole generation of, of the the tribe, the, the the Israeli people who were, you know, supposed to enter the promised land, do not because of their lack of faith in the vision and the promise and the prophecy of God. So, what can we learn from this? The first is, when God instructs Moses to send the the the, the spies into the land, it's not because God needs the information. He's looking for confirmation in the hearts of those leaders. What he's saying is, I already know it's your land, I'm God, I'm, I'm giving it to you. But in order for that living word, in order for that vision to be born in you, you need to go own it. You need to take ownership of it. You need to kind of be confirmed in it. And the sad reality is, is, all twelve realized it was a good land. But only two of them believed the promises of God sufficient enough to lead in that direction, to stay committed to that vision. The second thing we, we realize is, like, it's really important to believe when God reveals something. It doesn't mean we don't test it. Remember what Paul says about prophecy. He says, do not despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. When we get a vision from the Lord, it's worth kind of sending the spies and gathering information, seeing the fruit of it, and, and testing that fruit. But as that fruit comes back positive, as we start to see the the, the goodness of following God's vision for the circumstance, we need to trust it. And all vision, all vision from the Lord requires a, a moment of of faith. Requires or several moments, but kind of that that bold moment of we're going to cross the Jordan River into this land and trust that what God has said about it is true and we can and we can believe him and we can trust him. That all the information gathering is great. But even the most compelling vision, that is been confirmed with the data, still requires a step of, uh, of saying, but I choose to trust that the Lord has me in this and that he's going to sustain me and get me through. So, as we talk about vision and you, and you try to lead your people in, in a compelling vision and, and clarify that vision and, and make sure that the people don't perish, so to speak, keep in mind these three things. When we start to um, lead with vision, I already talked about it. It starts with receiving from the Lord. But as we communicate that, we need to be as clear as possible about what the vision is and where we're going. To work hard to dedicate yourself to receiving the right words at the right time in the right tone with the right kind of way of presenting. Not so much that we obsess over the marketing of the vision, but more so to say, how do I most clearly articulate what God is doing in us? The promised land is a great example of that. I mean, in three words, the promised land, the vision of God is made clear. He has spoken. This land is promised to you. How do you take whatever God is inviting your family or your spouse or, or your, your organization, how do you take that vision and put it into words that people can easily understand and can, can resonate with? The people of Israel longed for the promised land. And part of the reason they longed for it was because it was so clear as to what that meant. The second thing is when you're trying to, to, to get buy-in around this developing vision, is to strategically dispense authority to key stakeholders, to people that you know have influence over other groups of people, who are your 12 spies. Who are your people that if you can get them to understand and believe the vision, they will have an outsized influence on other people within the organization or whatever else you're leading. To be looking to say, Lord, who are the the key leaders that I need to invest in? And not just invest in that I want to talk at, but to dispense, to to give out real authority in ownership of the vision. So it's not just a, a dispensing of responsibility of saying like, do these things but more like authority to say, help me own this, help me communicate this, help me discern this as we we receive from the Lord this vision for our community. So clear articulation, dispense authority. And then finally, as as you're driving for unity around a vision, expect pushback. Anticipate pushback. Anticipate skepticism. Anticipate people saying that like, that's crazy. No, that's wrong. No, we shouldn't do this. Whatever it might be. Anticipate those things so that you're not caught off guard by them. Whenever a leader steps out and says, this is where we should go, there will always be or there should be pushback. if there isn't pushback, it's probably not a compelling enough vision. And it's probably not from the Lord. Because... Generally speaking, when I read scripture and when I look at the lives of the saints, whenever the Lord commissions something, whenever he gives vision to someone, it usually ruffles the feathers a little bit. It, it shakes the foundations a little bit. It, it, it stirs up in people kind of like, whoa, that's more than what we expected. That's, that's a little radical. Because people are accustomed to staying in a certain place. They're accustomed to living a certain way. And so when a leader receives a vision that's going to stretch us, that's going to lead us into a new place, by definition, that's going to cause us to change. And change is always hard for people. So expect it. Don't be alarmed by it. In fact, be looking for it so as to be a moment to, 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 of healing and a moment where the vision can actually solicit greater buy-in. When you're looking for the pushback, in the sense of you're anticipating the pushback, instead of being alarmed by it, you're expecting it and kind of eagerly anticipating this is a moment to, to drive towards clarity. This is a moment to get buy-in from my people. They're wondering, they're raw, they might even be operating out of wounding. Something's being expressed here that as a good leader, I can actually, through Jesus and through the Spirit, bring healing and bring greater buy-in. Now that won't always be the case. Sometimes the pushback will be so significant that they'll leave, or that you know something will truly be ruptured. But at least you can know. And at the end of the day, you looked yourself in the mirror. I communicated it well. I dispensed authority, and I anticipated the the pushback. And therefore, I was my best self. I was the kind of my most virtuous, holy self as I entered into that conflict. So, lead with vision, but recognize that vision comes from the Lord. The Lord is going to speak. He's going to invite you to communicate whatever he speaks and be succinct and clear about what that vision is. Dispense authority, bring buy-in from other people, and then expect pushback. And when you do that, as a spirit-filled leader, the Lord will lead you into new places. He'll lead you into new ideas and bring you to even greater fruitfulness. God bless.